Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we are talking about the film Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, from 1995, with my wonderful guest, Ashley Blanchett. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. My guest this week is Ashley Blanchett. We watched Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, modern classic from 1995. And we did it because uh, this episode is going to come out during the week of Pride, the first week of Pride in the month of June. Um, so we are celebrating the LGBTQ community. Ashley, what did you think of this movie? Oh my God. First of all, a friend came over today and I was like, we're watching Tu Wong Fu. And she was like, you've never seen that movie. And I was like, Oh, sorry. I missed a lot of like the early 90s, 80s movies. And so there's a lot of like really amazing movies that I just have never seen. And this is one of them. And I absolutely adored it. Thank you so much for sharing. Yay. So this was actually the movie that I think for the past year when we've been talking, um, I've been like, oh, my God, check this movie out. Like, oh, if you're feeling blue yes. or if the pandemic's getting you down, check this movie out. And it's that's what this movie is. It's just like a celebration of of joy, of being yourself, of being your like most authentic self. And it's so beautiful. And um, so for me, again, I wanted to pick this film for Pride because I think it's so, it's such a special, like unique time capsule. And it's kind of the first time in like a US feature film that drag queens were really per, like main characters in something. Um, wow. And for me, I saw this film uh, when I was 13 years old at a sleepover. Um, that's like kind of my intro to this film. I had always passed it in the video store at Blockbuster, but I didn't really know what it was. It had a weird title, like what is Tu Wong Fu? That doesn't make sense. And it had like three women in a car. I don't know, I didn't get it. And my friend was like, no, Sarah, we're gonna watch this at our sleepover. It was like a three <laughs> three girls together sleepover. And she was like, you need to see this movie. Um, so yeah, 13 year old Sarah went home, watched this movies with my friends at a sleepover and completely just fell in love with it. I loved it so much. It, it's it's funny to me that I didn't even realize they were drag queens on the cover of the film. Do you know what I mean? It was like you didn't yeah. I didn't understand back then until I started watching it. Um, and it's it's just such a wonderful movie. And I loved it so much that before I returned it the next day, I watched it again. It was like my friends oh. left and went home and I watched it again. So for me, this is one of those movies like I own it. I love it. If I'm ever feeling like I need a boost or just I need some love, this is one of those go-to movies that I put in personally um, because I think it's just so special. Okay, so that's like my love affair with this film. 
So this movie, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, is kind of a remake of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. So that's like the Australian version that came out a few years earlier. And this was kind of pulled from that. Um, I've never actually seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I don't know if you have, because I know it was on Broadway for a few years. They did like a musical version. I didn't see it. So this movie is about three drag queens. Uh, Patrick Swayze plays Vita Boem. Wesley Snipes plays Noxima Jackson. And John Leguizamo plays Chichi Rodriguez. The casting is incredible. We never really see them in their like male form. They are almost exclusively in drag the entire film. Um, The start of the film, we see Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes getting ready to go to a drag competition or what it's like a drag. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's a ball. It's a ball, a pageant. The word is they're pageant queens. Oh, okay. So they're getting ready for a a pageant. And um, Chichi Rodriguez is also going to be in this pageant. And, uh, it ends up that it's a tie to go to Hollywood to become like the number one drag queen in America between Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes. I'm going to continue calling them, not those names, but they're going to be Vita Boem and Noxima Jackson because that is how they are. Vita Boem and Noxima Jackson tie to go compete in um, Hollywood to be the best drag queen in America. They bump into Chi Rodriguez, who is crying on a stairwell. They say, little Latin boy in drag, why are you crying? Which is 100% a reference to Peter Pan, um, the Mary Martin Peter Pan version. Okay, so they decide that they are going to exchange their tickets on an airplane for money that they can get a car with. And they're all going to drive to Hollywood together. And they're going to take Chi Chi under their wing and just really teach her how to be a drag queen. Because right now she is a drag princess, not a drag queen, they say. Um, so on the way to Hollywood, their car breaks down in the middle of America. We never really know where it's supposed to be. It's a town called Snydersville and it could kind of be anywhere. We know it's not in West Virginia because they make a line about West Virginia. Um, but their car breaks down and they're in drag when the car breaks down and they're concerned that the people of the town will not accept them and will harm them if they find out that they are drag queens. Uh, so it ends up that like the people of the town they all bond together and these wonderful drag queens make this town such a better place to live. They bring all this like love and energy in and they revitalize this town in a few days. Um, They help this woman, Carol Ann, realize the strength within herself and she leaves her abusive husband. They just bring good with them. Also, I should mention on the way, they were stopped by a police officer who is played by Chris Penn, Sheriff Dullard who is completely awful and tries to molest um, Vita. And when he realizes she's a man, he kind of freaks out and she pushes him to the ground and he passes out and they think they've accidentally killed a cop. But they have not because Dullard is on the look for them. He... A shoe was left behind, kind of like Cinderella, which is ironic because the writer Douglas Carter Bean writes Cinderella for Broadway later on. Oh, yeah. Which I'm like, you have a tie-in for that, I know. So Sheriff Dullard tracks down these drag queens because of the abusive husband that was kicked out. They kind of bump into each other at a bar. And he says to the town, why are you hiding these drag queens? These people are terrible and they need to be locked up. And the people of the town are like, um, I'm a drag queen. What are you going to do to me? They're like, I am Spartacus being a drag queen. Yeah, so the sheriff <laughs> leaves and the people all celebrate together. And um, the drag queens leave town with these beautiful relationships intact. And 
we'll get to the most beautiful line, but the relationship between Vita and Carol Ann is very, very special where Carol Ann tells Vita that she loves her. And Vita says, I've waited my whole life to hear those words said to that name, which is just beautiful. They drive off to Hollywood and it is revealed that somehow, even though Chi Chi was not in the competition, she won best drag queen in America. And she now looks gorgeous and elegant. And the crown is placed on her head by Miss Julie Newmar, who I also forgot to mention is really important because back when they were in New York and they had just won their drag queen competition, a picture, an autographed photo of Julie Newmar was behind them that said, Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. And they kind of stole it and took it with them on their journey and used it as like a talisman of good along the way. And they gave it to Carol Ann so she could uphold that you know, tradition of Julie Newmar. Um, so that's the movie. That's the plot synopsis. I feel like this movie is like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And, you know, every episode of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, I am, or I guess that it's just Queer Eye now, not for the straight guy anymore. Um, but every episode of that, I'm crying. And I, I love this idea of, you know, these these people that have, you know, been ostracized and um, oppressed throughout their entire life um, turn into angels instead of turning around and bullying other people they've you know turned into angels and, and use what they've learned to help other people who need to be uplifted and I think that sentiment is just such a beautiful sentiment and I think it's amazing that it can be done in such an uplifting way like this whole movie is I would say I would say it's kind of a comedy, wouldn't you? I totally would. And the fact that it's a comedy is really interesting to me because you could so easily have these three men who I believe are not gay in real life, which I feel like we should talk about later because there's a whole thing right now about like, you know, should straight men be playing gay, gay men when, you know, gay men don't get the chance to play gay men very often? Should the straight men take their roles? In this case, these men, I feel like were... They gave such incredible, beautiful performances as actors, period. I feel like there's such an argument for the fact that these particular actors did such a beautiful job. I don't know how I feel on that whole issue. It's confusing to me as an actor because, sorry, this is such a tangent, but as an actor, I just feel like actors, um, the, the whole fun of being an actor is getting to play people that are far away from you. And I feel like the whole concept that we are one and that empathy is an important characteristic for us all to have is only strengthened by people getting to play things that they're totally not. Um, but at the same time, I totally understand that, you know, if gay men are marginalized and not able to get, you know, get parts because they're gay, then we should be looking out for gay men to play these roles. Anyway, that being said, I thought they did such a good job at not making fun of something that can go kind of into camp very easily and is supposed to. You know, if you watch Drag Race, like camp is a very, it's a drag thing to kind of be over the top and campy. And it's a, that's a beautiful aspect of it. But I don't think the performances were any sort of making fun. The performances were so real and true and down to earth. And I think that is what's so touching to me about this movie was that in making a comedy, in making something that was touching and light and funny and fun, even though the subject matter touched on spousal abuse and domestic abuse and, you know, um, people not being allowed to go to their homes because of who they are and being, you know, beat up. These men are superheroes and 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 they keep the comedy in this very specific window of like, this is funny, but we're laughing with you, not at you. 
I think that was so well done. I completely agree. What you were just saying too about how seriously they take it. Like, cause you're right. I think because this was made in the nineties and it almost feels like a lot of gay actors weren't quote unquote, even allowed to be out then and have a career. It might've been that there weren't as many options available back then. Like now, I don't know if it would work. I don't think you could make this movie with straight actors playing these roles. Right. But back then, especially it being the men that they chose. I mean, Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, John Leguizamo, especially Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes, who have like done action films and who are kind of these macho guys, the strength in having them play women and not be making fun of it, really taking it seriously and becoming these women, I think is very powerful. And I think kind of battles the toxic masculinity that might have been out there about it. Because you're right, their performances are absolutely fantastic, especially for me, Patrick Swayze. So he was a classically trained ballerina. And he gets to like utilize those skills in this embodiment of Vita. Like he becomes Vita. He is Vita Boheme. You see it. I think this is his best role that he's ever done. Like his performance is just like gorgeous. Gorgeous. It's so honest. It's so honest. No, but it's like what you were saying because it is a comedy. So it could have gone very campy like you were saying. But because they found this way to make it authentically real and still have comedy at the same time is to me what makes it so special, but also is what critics didn't like about it in the day. What I was reading about it was that when it came out, critics were like, this isn't very realistic. And it's like, they have such a basic, typical kind of plot. It's not exciting. Like they're like, we're charmed, but like, this is kind of a basic movie. And I, I disagree completely. I think it's, taking like a normal trope of any sort of comedy or romantic film we would see from back then, but giving us a new kind of protagonist and giving them like a happy ending and a beautiful world of escape that we don't always get to see with these kinds of characters. So I'm, I'm okay that it's not really realistic, you know, like I, I love that it's the way it is. Critics of the time probably were thinking if we're going to do a movie about domestic abuse and about men in drag in the nineties, it should be a drama. It should be a boys don't cry. It should be a situation where like these boys get murdered in the end. It shouldn't be a, you know, a a movie where they're basically superheroes. Right. And they're just like beating men up right and left and saving the world. And I mean, they're superheroes and it's a comedy and it's funny and light, you know, as if their lives are funny and light. We don't really get a sense of the fact that like, if this was true, you know, there'd be a lot more, there'd be a lot more harm. There'd be a lot more violence. There'd be a lot more, you know, the murder rate would be higher, right? Um, But I think you're right. I think that's why it's so powerful is because it's saying, you know, like you were saying about fantasy, that is a really cool idea because so much of the idea of drag is so based in this, in the fantasy type of world. And I think this movie is kind of goes there into that fantasy world where like everything turns out okay in the end and it's light and happy. And that's kind of all we get into. Why can't we see a story where men in drag are superheroes and fun and having a fun time and not being murdered? I mean, I think yeah. that's something that we all would love to see. And it, it's it's powerful that way. Well, and I think you just nailed on something, too, about like how the world of drag is really fun. Like we get a kind of a taste at the beginning of the movie of like the drag world in New York City. And for me, this was kind of my first taste of the drag world. I end up in my own personal life becoming a huge fan of RuPaul's Drag Race like been watching it for a decade. Love it. But like, this was kind of my first taste of that world. Um, So I wonder if maybe the people who are critiquing it, like largely very likely straight white men, don't 
necessarily understand the drag world, don't understand the feeling of what a drag show might feel like and how this this whole film doesn't necessarily feel like a drag show, but it gives you the feeling that I feel kind of when I watch RuPaul's Drag Race, that there are odds that have been overcome, but there is a joy and a beauty to the art of this. That's the movie, and that's also the message of the movie. So it's kind of meta in the fact that, like, the movie itself is choosing in the face of what could be a very dark story. The movie is choosing to go light, just like these actual characters. And it's even like the scene you were talking about how they feel like superheroes. There's also the scene where like magic literally happens. And I don't think magic is literally happening. I think that's the way the townspeople are viewing them. Like when they're decorating the room and they like do the I Dream of Genie blinks and all of a sudden like the shade is covered with this gorgeous fabric <laughs> and the bed is perfectly, you know, all of a sudden magically done. I'm almost like that's kind of a comment on how these people are viewing them. Like, we don't know if we're getting like an accurate quote unquote portrayal, but like that's maybe how the townspeople view these very lively, alive, wonderful people that have come in and woken them all up from their like blah, gray, quote unquote, dust bowl existence. That's true, but they also never lose. They only lose an exposition. That's how we find out about the sadness of their past, essentially. Yes, they lose an exposition, but we never actually see they're gay men, right? But like they're gay men who know Kung Fu, like, which is not to say gay men don't know Kung Fu, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's a superhero quality of like, if a, if a gang of men show up, I'm going to grab them by the balls and teach them how to behave. You know, if a, if a policeman comes over and tries to arrest me, I'm going to knock him out as opposed to getting molested myself, which, you know, we know from actual statistics you know, if a, if a man dresses up as a woman, the, statistically speaking, that person might not survive. That's frequently what the story is. Um, but I think that they kind of choose in this movie to not ever tell that story, which I think is beautiful and makes it light and makes it happy, but not necessarily statistically correct. Well, and you're right. It's part of the fantasy because something that I had thought in the past while watching this was like, oh my God, I would love to do that. I would love to be like, do you like my nails? And then like dig them into a guy and be like, apologize. But I'm never going to do that because I'm physically afraid for my life. Right. But it hadn't occurred to me that because Wesley Snipes is Wesley Snipes and he's not afraid, but like him as a gay man character, I hadn't quite put that together about how the gay man character could have potentially been afraid based on his past. Yeah. And yes. And I think in some ways that story is the fantasy of it is awesome. But also if we're going to be critiquing and if we're going to pull, pull out hairs here, I think that could be construed if you want to look at it that way as a harmful aspect of the movie, because it makes it seem like it's just men, you know, having these secrets and hiding an address, but really they're dangerous. Really they could be harming anybody they want. And I think that that's like really incorrect. And I think that like most people that dress up in a different gender are the people that are being harmed, not the people that are going around causing harm. What I was noticing specifically through this viewing, like what I was trying to take notice of was the three women's journeys. I'm gonna call them women because they're in drag. It, what, that's what feels correct to me. Because I don't think I've ever thought too deeply about their individual journeys. But what I was noticing this time is, so like for Chi-Chi, her journey is, I noticed in the beginning, she said, oh, I just want to be rescued. I just want to be rescued. She ends up being rescued several times throughout the film. And I feel like in the end, 
She starts to take responsibility for her life and kind of rescues herself. And then she also kind of comes from this place of like, everything I do is terrible and turns to shit. And she becomes the champion. Like she's the winner of not only like a man's heart who she coveted, but like a drag title. So she ends up kind of as a winner. And then, um, I mean, Vita Boheme, her story is just wanting to be loved and accepted for being Vita Boheme. So in the beginning, she's craving this acceptance from her parents. She doesn't get it, but she ends up getting like love from her chosen family and being told, I love you and feeling yes. that acceptance. A mother figure. Uh, from a mother figure. Oh, I hadn't put that together either. From a mother figure. Whoa. And then Noxima's was hitting me really hard this time because um, if I if I was any of them, I would want to be Noxima the most. Like she has the <laughs> best lines. She's so fun. She loves classic movies. <laughs> I really I love her. She's the least fleshed out, though, I would say. I mean, like her backstory is kind of like we don't really know what she, what her dreams are. That's a great point, too. You're right. All we know from her backstory, because her quote that stuck out to me the most was, in the beginning, like, they're going to be cruel to us. It could get violent. And she says this in a really calm voice when she's talking to, like, Patrick Swayze as Vita about, like, worrying about the road trip and worrying about going into a hotel that's, like, in the middle of the country to stay there. And you get the sense that she does have a history of, like, people have been cruel and violent to her. Um, but you're right, we don't have as much of a fleshed out past from her because we literally see Chi-Chi's past in the beginning when she's walking through like through her home neighborhood, we get a sense of what she's been through. And then Vito, we literally see where she comes from. But you're right, we never really know with Noxie. But Noxie goes from being very wary of people and very like, I don't trust anyone to wait, I can actually open up to people. I'm going to make Hollywood wherever I go. I'm going to be my authentic self wherever I go. So I feel like her journey was almost from like hiding to being her authentic self a little bit. I get frustrated by her because I feel like she gets forgotten towards the end of the movie where you're following Patrick Swayze with the whole mother thing and the abuse. You're following um, Chi Chi with the whole love story. And Noxima doesn't get a story, which I would throw out there that that possibly has some like racism of the day undertones to it. Where, I mean, which is not to say that, like, you know, Chi-Chi isn't a person of color as well, but I think there is that thing again about how, like, Black people having the funny zingers is, like, we're entertaining as fuck and intimidating as fuck because there's some type of story there, but we're not going to, like, delve into it and make you a three-dimensional human like the other people we just want to hear the zingers oh i guess she did have that connection with that older woman she does have the connection with the older woman that's actually what brings the older woman to life i noticed this time because i i don't know if i had noticed this or not before but the older woman becomes awake when leslie snipes holds her hand for a minute and you get because no one is like touched this older woman you get the sense and she like holds her hand almost. And that's when the woman like wakes up. That's when she starts talking. And I never, wow. I don't know if I never noticed that before, but I was like, that's beautiful. Like, you know, yeah. just that contact. And one thing that is cool, cause I hadn't really explored it from that angle, but you're very likely correct. Like we don't get a lot of her backstory. I feel like she's three dimensional only cause I love her so much, but maybe that's just my love blinding me. I think Wesley definitely made her three dimensional. Yes. Um, you believe that's a three dimensional human. And maybe you're right. Like maybe there is something to the idea that this person was closed off and then found that she had something super in common with who would have thought an older 
white woman from a smaller small town they they connect over like both caring about hollywood older hollywood and i think maybe maybe that's maybe that's about like the fact that we all have more in common than we might initially you know if you just open kind of open yourself up you might find more humanity maybe it is about connection so yeah she has a, she has an arc i do like that this movie does call out racism in certain parts for sure though. Like I like that they call out the copying racist, like they literally name it. Um, I like that when Wesley Snipes um, as Noxy bonds with Clara, the older woman, that it's over Dorothy Dandridge films, but that it's because the older woman knows and loves Dorothy Dandridge films and knows and loves Lena Horne films. So that tells us that the older woman isn't like, she's not incredibly racist. So you, you kind of see that forming. And I love that moment when Chi Chi calls out Vita and she's like, I'm really sick of the white lady telling the black lady and the Latina lady what to do. I think that's a really cool moment. Yes. So ahead of its time. Um, because like Vita's, Vita's right a lot of the time, but she does meddle and she does sometimes maybe tell people what to do when she should not. Ah, she's a leader. I think she's a leader. She is a leader. <laughs> but like, I, I got why Chi Chi was pissed. Yeah. Well, so one thing with like, if we're putting the modern lens on it, I do not love when they all insult each other in racial ways. Like I, I you know, they do that a lot throughout the film. Um, I don't love it. I don't know. I like that they all apologize to each other about it, but I don't love it. And then um, I also didn't love, this is not a 2020 lens thing. This is a plot thing. I don't love that Chi Chi is so quick to abandon them at every turn when they have like, include they really have included her um but they're constantly insulting her so i don't know it's a mixed bag but that's always bothered me that chi chi's like i'm out i'm immediately out and i'm like no they no stick see this through chi chi i mean to me that was just part of her trauma to me that was just like very realistic that like somebody who has always been like you know deserted would immediately be like i'm gonna I'm out. I'm, I mean, I could, I, that, that made so much sense to me. I was like, yep, I'd be out too. I've always had to take care of myself. So I'm going to continue to do that. That makes me feel empowered. This does not deuces bye, bitches. You know what I mean? Like I, that to me, like really rang true of like a person who has been traumatized to just be kind of like, yeah, I do better with just myself. So thanks a lot guys. You know, not trusting that people can have her back in any sort of way. Oh, yes. I do want to also shout out from the beginning. We had some drag queen cameos. We have Miss RuPaul, who is just always fantastic. She comes in as the previous year's winner, Rachel Tension, in a Confederate flag sequin dress. And that is the <laughs> only time ever that the Confederate flag will ever be allowed to be displayed. She's fabulous. She's fantastic. She takes her few lines and makes them count the part. Um, yeah. With that guy where she's like, he's going on my tires because uh, he's yes. wearing like the chains. <laughs> if it yep. snows, he's going on my tires. I forget what her line is. I should know it by now, but I don't. That's it. It was great. And then her line about this land was made for you and her. She's just, she's great in the time that she has. And then in that scene, there's like the drag queens that I recognize, like Lady Bunny is in a cameo there. She's like a classic drag queen. And then Miss Coco yes. Peru is there. I know that the other ones are famous too, but I don't know their names. But those were the two I was like, ah, Miss Coco Peru. Ah, Lady Bunny. Um, so we get like drag royalty. I also wanted to talk with you about the Chris Penn character, the homophobic character who might be gay himself. Oh, it's definitely gay. 
he's in that bar and he's like their voices they're grunting they're like he's just describing it for like far too long to be a straight person and well and when virgil sits down next to him he looks like he's gonna start flirting with virgil but then virgil asks about the shoe and that stops it so you are like oh my god chris penn his character his like uber toxic masculine character is very likely gay and feels like he has to be closeted this movie is so much a comment on like look at the toxic masculine characters and how stupid their lives are Look how much better your life could be. Look how much happier everyone else in this town is. Look at the good time they're having by not choosing that kind of behavior. Hmm, which one should we choose here? And then the racism in the cops was bothering me too. Like when all the cops were together and Chris Penn was like, one of them was black. And they were like, oh, sure. And I was like, please stop flaunting the racism. That was hard to watch as well for like my 2021 lens ometer. And the Chi-Chi rape scene was also part of my 2021 Lensometer. I forgot about that part. How like Chi-Chi is almost raped by a gang of men. Two days later, by the end of the movie, these men are all like in support of them and are no longer going to harm people. Though Those are my other, I don't know about this moments. I think there's a lot of like, it's not realistic because it's a comedy. Yeah. Right. And so like, just like as if we were watching a rom-com or something like that, we're going to like let certain things slide because like if we really went into it, it would take it into a different, a different genre. Like if the rape men were, I think they get changed during the dance, you know, when everything, when everyone's dancing and they're like all put their arms around each other, they've been detoxified, I think by like the presence of these, of these drag men in drag. And I think that's as far as like, we're supposed to take it just like how, when um, uh, Carol Ann played so beautifully, of course, by Stalker Channing. Oh, I'm so in love with her. But, She's fantastic. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, once someone stands up for her, all of a sudden she's fine. She's drinking wine that night and she's like, why did I ever stay with him? Ha ha ha. Like, let's get rid of all the men. Ha ha ha. I hate men. Like, that was quick. That was like the same night. But I think, you know, for this genre, we're kind of just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to go too deep into like what the rest of her life is really like being a survivor of like a lifetime of domestic abuse in a small town and probably continuing to stay married to this guy, probably, or at least be around him because she's got children with him. And like, we don't want to go there. You know what I mean? We kind of want her to make that switch and like be free of the spell. I had never thought past this this movie of how her life would be. Because you're like, she's going to be fine. She stood up to Virgil, so she's going to be fine forever. Like, you don't think beyond that. You're right. Um, But also, this movie takes place so quickly. This movie takes place within about 48 hours. And just even the forming of the relationships happens so quickly. Like, when Vita's like, I trust trust Carol Ann and she trusts me. You're kind of like, wait, how? Because you've only talked twice. (laughs) (laughs) But because it's like the world of this comedy and it's kind of magical... Yeah, we do buy it, especially because it's Stockard Channing and especially because it's Patrick Swayze. Like, because we it's love good them. acting. It's good yeah. acting. We're totally all in. Okay, I buy it. It's the genre. I, yeah, I think if it was a drama, we would we would have to, like, look into it more and be a little bit more like, yeah, what domestic abuse, I don't know that she's going to wake up that day just because someone stood up to him one time. But... I give it free license because I feel like I'm watching a fairy tale and I'm loving it. And especially that the whole point of the fairy tale is acceptance. It's like acceptance of people in a beautiful way and like celebrating people. Like the line that Stalker Channing has about um, 
when she says to, to Patrick Swayze, when he's like, I have to tell you who I am. I have to tell you what I am. And she's like, Adam's apple. And he's like, what? And she's like, you're, you're my lady friend who just happens to have an Adam's apple. And you're like, oh my God, that's exact. That's beautiful. That's so that beautiful. That was beautifully written. That was beautifully written. And, and also at the, you know, at the end when, when she says, I don't think of you as a man, I don't think of you as a woman. I think of you as an angel. <laughs> oh my god and that's when i started crying before i don't know why that got me well because it's beautiful it, that's why it got you it's transcendental of gender it's gorgeous and everybody wants to feel that way you know everybody wants to feel like i don't see the ways that you could label yourself or feel like you've been held back in the world. I just see the beauty of your spirit. Like that's gorgeous. And she, she yells it too. It's like a proclamation. So it's not even just that only he can hear. Oh yeah. She's yelling that across space to him. So the town hears, and it's almost like it is her words, but it's like the town's almost agreement too. you know, it's like, the town yeah. is behind them. This town of unlikely, like, backwoods kind of people are are loving in the end, too. Like, they've all been touched and changed by the lives of these drag queens in a better way. And it You're extends right. beyond them. Because it's, like, more than just the town. At the end, there's a party of a lot of people. And there's that man who we never met. But when the cop is like, don't go in there, there's perverts that are going to change the way things have always been. Chris Penn is like, the founding fathers wouldn't have wanted this. And the guy passing them goes, well, the founding fathers wore some fabulous wigs. Like, even (laughs) that guy, you know, like it's this has affected so many people. The writing is so good. That line says so much, but it still is just a joke. You know what I mean? And I feel like the, the genre stays true to itself, that we're keeping it light we're keeping it, you know, we're, we're making jokes about it, but we're talking about really serious things. It stays true to itself through every moment. Every time there's an authentic moment too, it's never undercut by the punchline. So it's like that moment with Carol Ann where she's like, I see you as an angel. Patrick Swayze's response is like, I think that's healthy. <laughs> like, So it's like this funny delivery, but it keeps the moment beautiful. It doesn't detract from it. And I think they do that consistently in this piece. The line, I think that's healthy, is a joke, but also deep, like I'm saying, because the whole thing is about how unhealthy these people are. And so that line is about accepting her and saying like, you know, the way that you view us is acceptable. It's healthy. It's good. It's not something to view as a sickness or something nasty or something negative. So in some ways, he's just making a joke. But in a lot of ways, he's saying it all. And I feel like that that's what I that's the point I think I, I, I keep making with every example that you're bringing up. I'm like, yeah, over and over and over again, they do this thing where they keep it super light and super funny but what they're talking about is super deep. It's layered. There's so much more beneath it. I do want to talk about the fact that a woman directed this. Of course. Of course now a woman I understand everything. This. Now I understand it all. Yep. A woman directed it, Douglas Carter Bean, who is like a gay man, wrote it. And um, yeah. side note, Kenny Ortega did the choreography, which anytime yes, you see uh, Kenny Ortega's name, you're like, ah, this is going to be good. This is it's amazing. Stuff. Choreography by Kenny Ortega. Kenny Ortega, which just means like when they sway on the balcony, you're like, thanks, Kenny Ortega. Love that. 
I love it. Okay, so it's um, a British woman named Beban Kidron, and she is a baroness. She won an OBE for her like humanitarian work. So she's like a filmmaker. She's a um, a documentary. So she does both like feature film and documentary film. Um, she's really cool. This is kind of, I think, her biggest film hit. She also directed another film or a TV. I'm not sure if it's a film or a series called Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. That was kind of how she got big in Britain and won a bunch of BAFTAs for that, which are like the British Academy Awards. And then her other kind of big film is Bridget Jones' The Edge of Reason, the second Bridget Jones film. Um, but she did a lot of documentary films as well. And she's the founder of something called the Five Rights Foundation. And she has actively fought for like the rights of children online. So to have like children be safe online and to have their data not be mined. And she works with UNESCO and UNICEF. And so she's like, she does a lot of like really good work in real life. This girl's incredible. Yeah, she sounds awesome. And she's married to Lee Hall, who wrote Billy Elliot. And I went, oh, that's nice. There's more information about like all the philanthropic work she's done than about her films. And she has an OBE, like an order of British excellence because of the way she's like done her life. You know what I mean? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, she's great. And I, so I was excited by that. I was like, yay, awesome. A really cool female director who's crushing it. Um, she talked about the casting process and choosing Patrick Swayze. I want to tell you about all the actors who auditioned for this part real quick. Um, so if you were an actor in Hollywood in 1995, you wanted this role. I think everyone thought it was going to kind of be an Oscar worthy role. But then when the Oscars rolled around, it didn't get the honors it deserved. But the people that wanted this part that were considered for it were Robert Downey Jr., Gary Oldman, Matthew Broderick, um, James Spader, John Cusack, Mel Gibson, Willem Dafoe, John Turturro, Matt Dillon, Rob Lowe, Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, and Robin Williams, who does make a cameo in the film. I feel like if so many of those men, if they had done it, would have made fun of it. You know, like I, I can't see Mel Gibson taking it seriously enough. I agree. When she said what sealed it for her was Patrick Swayze's walk, his gracefulness. Because again, he was like a classically trained ballerina. He knew how to be in his body. Um, and you can see that Vita is so graceful. Vita is like, my my only criticism of Wesley Snipes is, especially in one of the opening drag scenes, he hasn't like figured out how to hold his hands yet. You can kind of see where he doesn't know how to have his nails and be graceful yet. He kind of figures it out throughout the film. But from the get-go, Patrick Swayze understands how to move his body gracefully as a woman. And she said, um, he showed up like uh, in full makeup. He had people like really come in and do the full makeup on him. And he said, you know, let's walk through New York and let's see if anyone notices me. Wow. And she was like, he he was stunning. I was watching him like just be, I think she said his beauty and his dancer's grace. That was it. Like he had the job because of those things. He really should have won an Oscar just because of the way that he was able to truly transform into someone else and be so grounded about it. I mean, I was touched by him. I was touched by him. Regardless of what his sexual preferences are in his private life, I was totally moved by his performance, period. He becomes Vita Boem. Like it's just, he becomes another person. You're watching it. 
He Meryl Streep's it this time. You watch him come to life as a different person. How did he know how to do that? I think that's such that's such intelligence because I feel like straight men get any of that femininity so beat out of them. Patrick Swayze is really interesting. I mean, I don't know if you know a lot about him, but I adore him. I, I like his movies and I remember watching that uh, documentary they made about him on the Paramount channel. And he's just incredibly interesting because he had so many so many interests in his life. And I, I guess it turns out he, they think he might've had bipolar disorder, but was undiagnosed because he would live manically for a while. Whoa. And that's, they're attributing like, that's why he had all of these outlets because it was like, he wasn't just a ballet dancer. He was also a football player and he also was a pilot and he also loved skydiving. And he also like loved living on a ranch and breeding Arabian horses. And like, he just had all of these different, things that he was kind of 100% invested in and into. I don't remember if it was his wife or him saying they thought it might have been like undiagnosed bipolar disorder. Um, and he turns to alcohol at one point and does become an alcoholic and needs rehab. His mom was a dance teacher. So he grew up like in a dance studio, learning dance, loving dance. And he ends up getting injured in football, like wanting to get a football scholarship, getting injured at football and just completely turning himself over to dance. And like, gets dances with the Harkness and the Joffrey ballet. Like he's a legit dancer. Whoa, he danced at Joffrey? I think he trained at Joffrey. Wow. And he met his wife when he was 18 and she was 14. She was a student at his mom's studio. I, I don't think they fell in love till a little bit later, but he was like faithful to his wife his whole life. Like they get married and he, that's it. Wow. And they both really love each other. And it, it, like watching her talk on the documentary, I was like, oh my God. Your life was beautiful together. Mm. And his first movie was a roller skating movie. He was like a, a Xanadu-esque roller skater. Like he could do everything. He could do everything. He did martial arts as well. When, when he couldn't course. do football anymore, he learned how to do martial arts. So yeah, he's just this very intense, unusual man. He was into a lot of different spiritual kind of things, always trying to like seek his higher purpose. So yeah, that's kind of Patrick Swayze in a nutshell. Wesley Snipes, in a nutshell, is similar in terms of he was also really into martial arts. I think it's so interesting that they have this basketball scene in the film, and I feel like it's here to almost have a callback to White Men Can't Jump, which is like uh, one yeah. of his biggest films. But yeah, he, I mean, Wesley Snipes, for people at home, he's kind of known for being an action star. He was Blade and Blade, and he was in Demolition Man and U.S. Marshals and um, Spike Lee films. He was in Jungle Fever, like... He has a, that kind of career where he plays kind of more macho characters. So that's why this is also special. And then I guess John Leguizamo is the third lead character. And he's kind of famous for his one man plays that he writes. He's really smart. He was a stand up comedian, kind of transitioned to acting, was in Carlito's Way and Romeo Plus and Juliet and Moulin Rouge. That's how we all know him that are millennials because we all like that. Movie, I guess. <laughs> um, oh, I do want to mention also the supporting cast as well. Um, what a fantastic supporting cast. It's like stacked with names. Totally. Every one of those women that comes out of the door, I'm like, whoa. Stocker Channing, Blythe Danner, who is Gwyneth Paltrow's mom for people at home, who, but who's also a talented actress in her own right. We got Melinda Dillon, who's the mom in A Christmas Story, and she's in Absence of Malice. She's fantastic. Uh, Beth Grant, who was in Speed. She's the woman that gets pulled under the bus. Oh, that's why I know her. I was like, I know this woman has been in every 90s movie, and that's the one. She's under the bus. Um, Michael Vartan, early film appearance. We know him from like Never Been Kissed and Alias. Uh, Jason London, I had such a crush on in this movie. I had such a crush on Bobby Ray. 13-year-old me was like, oh my God, <laughs> he's the cutest. 
he's perfect for me. <laughs> perfect for me. Look how he respects her and he's cute at the same time. I mean, he's like the only male character that isn't horrible. Besides the three men who are the drag queens. Because when they're talking about like, let's get rid of all the men and Patrick Swayze's like, I don't think we want to get rid of all the men. What about like the... Yeah, but you know what's interesting is that there's such a like fine line in this movie between drag queens that seem to not just dress in drag for balls, but be wearing drag throughout the day. And that to me kind of blurs the line between like being transgender. The fact that the fact that they're trying to convince people in the town and convince policemen that they're that they're not men to me doesn't come off like gay. I mean, listen, I'm not the expert on this, but I feel like this movie, from my perspective, seems to be t- sort of telling somewhat telling a story about transgender people. You know what I mean? I feel like the reason they would maybe want to dress as women would, if they were not transgender, would be because they didn't feel safe. Like they felt like they were safer almost dressed as women than they would be as like gay men. Wesley Snipes breaks down what everything means. Like he does. Talking to Chi-Chi and he's like, this is what transvestite means. This is what transgender means. This is what a drag queen is. And so it's interesting that he breaks it down and makes the distinctions. But then at the same time, they are dressed as women the whole time and don't ever really change out of drag. Yeah, I, it's interesting because he does make a point to say like, you know, the the whole trans thing is different than the, than the gay thing. And that is definitely the case. If this movie was made today, maybe they would feel... Like they wanted to be trans or not. I don't know. But I, yeah, I do wonder if it was just we would be safer if we dressed as women versus if we were just gay men. I wonder if there was that was a thought there. But also they still like Patrick Swayze still is molested by the cop. Like what we see from like Chris Penn's character is just like the worst of all of toxic masculinity and like the patriarchy and white supremacy, all of it, because it's like there's racism there. There's like toxicity towards women. There's toxicity towards gay men. They also did add that line in post. You can tell where get your hand off my dick, buddy. That was 100% added as an ADR loop after the fact, because I think we were supposed to infer as an audience that he felt Patrick Swayze's penis and then was like, (gasps) and we were supposed to understand that, but it wasn't clear. So they had to add the line. But he, I mean, he does still get like molested as a woman and who even knows? I mean, if just Chi-Chi and... Um, Noxie were in the car alone. I'm sure like he has a gun on him. They they show us like in one of the moments where you're like, oh no, and is pulling them over for like no real good reason. So I'm really glad this film is not based in reality um, because that would have been another horrible kind of felt like, yeah. I mean, lots of lots of moments throughout the movie where you're like, oh wow, they, they got away with that. That's nice. You know, like, thank God that they did. Yes, yeah, yeah, it worked out okay. Like even when they when they show up at the hotel and they're like, "Chi Chi, no, like we can't just bust into this hotel." It turns out that it's a convention and they're fine and they're just gonna play basketball and no one's gonna notice. Like it was, I love that. It's like just not how it would have gone, but it keeps it all light. The, the women's basketball convention when the guy's like, "I was gonna meet you outside," and they're just the fear of, "Oh no, we're gonna be shamed," and like welcome yeah come on in it's great it's great um i do also want to maybe point the 2021 lens at like the expectation that all gay men are supposed to like know about fashion and make your life better and like 
I do love a fashion moment. I love that they all got their hair done and look great. And he's giving the guy the book about Diana Vreeland. Like, I love all of that. But I do want to like, yes, we understand gay men. It is not your job to make anybody else <laughs> beautiful. No, that's not a stereotype I want to put on anyone. Um, but I do love it in this movie. The 60s clothes, all, all of it. Oh, I did read, too, that uh, the shoot was a little bit more difficult because <laughs> it was a shoot on location and it took four and a half months to shoot. And apparently the men hated how long the costumes and makeup took because they have so many costume changes. The costumes are fantastic in this. Um, Marlene Stewart is the costume designer. Uh, she did like The Holiday and Coyote Ugly. Their costumes really are mind-blowingly good. Like for being in this town for two days, Thank God we're not being realistic about it because none of their drag would have fit in this tiny, tiny car. But they have so many outfits with them. Um, and it's a delight every time we have a new look or a new outfit. I think I'm delighted consistently. I mean, all the costumes are amazing. I think maybe it's because Noxina and I have the same haircut currently. But I was really feeling all of her, everything she was doing, I was like, oh, I'm going to copy that later. Like, I was literally looking at a scene where she had her hair done a certain way. And I was like, oh, I want to do my hair that way. Yeah, the pigtails. <laughs> that is exactly it. And she just had, I loved her outfits probably the most for myself. Her outfits would be what I want to wear. I mean, they look great. They look great. Um, but 13-year-old Sarah really responded to Chi-Chi's all-white outfit. Do you know the baby doll dress she had with yes. the thigh hat? 13-year-old Sarah was like, I want that look. That is a look for me. Older Sarah now is like, mm, I'm good. Please just Nagzima's looks or the fringe look I would love to wear. Also, 13-year-old Sarah started moisturizing because of this movie. The scene <laughs> where at the end where she's like, and moisturize. I cannot stress this enough. I swear to God, I started moisturizing because of this film. Yay, you must have soft skin. <laughs> Thanks, this movie. I do love that we have a full circle Julie Newmar moment. Um, that like, yeah, she's the person that ends the film and like the whole movie, we had this like talisman of her and her being statuesque and the end of the film is like Julie Newmar seeing them, loving them and clasping her hands in joy to like be in their presence. It's a fairy tale. It's lovely. One of my personal all time favorite moments in this movie is when they very first leave New York and they're in this convertible and they're on the bridge and Barbara Streisand's Gotta Move is playing. I love it so, so much. For me, that's a great moment. Um, that and then when we see Chi Chi doing like the voguing in the shadows and it's like they're driving in the car and the people on the train see them and start dancing too. My, those are like, I really like both of those, but especially the Gotta Move moment. I always just love. It was so heartwarming and light and refreshing and well well done it was very refreshing to see like you know marginalized people get a fairy tale and to see it be done so well yeah and be celebrated by people that um aren't necessarily from the world I mean I know that wouldn't happen today but there was something really beautiful about the amount of empathy that went into it I don't know. There's something to be said for saying like, wow, look at that straight man and look how he could just as easily maybe be this person. That's what I, that's what I think is so cool about the movies and about acting that I, I hope we never lose a little bit of that as much as we want to celebrate and to allow people to tell their own stories. I do think that there's something so beautiful about people who aren't something being able to say like, look at how we're all 
so similar and one one human race. I think that's so powerful. The ability to walk in someone else's shoes. So I think that's why actors tend to be essentially more liberal in general is because we understand it's like from another person's perspective and how to live in someone else's shoes. So I think that's kind of like the sensation of it. Yeah, and it's beautiful to it's beautiful to watch, right? Because it's like, oh my God, Patrick Swayze has this empathy for someone who I don't think he really is. That brings me closer to feeling like I could empathize and relate to, you know, and I think that's such a beautiful thing about acting. It was beautiful to watch Patrick Swayze do this and be and and Wesley Snipes do this and John Leguizamo do this and be like, that's not who they are, but it could be. And they're they are so good at it. Like they really are. Like John Leguizamo is fantastic as Chi-Chi and is so comfortable in her skin. You know, like they all are. They're so comfortable in living in someone else's skin that it is very I'm not gonna top what you were saying, because it is exactly what you're saying. It's like you feel that empathy for these characters that the actors have and embodying them. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I do want to bring up there were some Carmen callbacks and we had watched Carmen together. So I loved that when they talk about um, Carmen Jones, which Ashley and I watched together earlier, and they were like, Pearl Bailey's birthday should be a national holiday. Yes. Like, yes. The whole Dorothy Dandage thing. I was like, we know all about her. And then just the references for days. There were so many great references. Uh, just like the theater references, just even Dreamgirls, where Chi-Chi's like, I'm staying. And she's like, all right, Miss Jennifer Holiday." <laughs> you know, like th- just a lot of great solid ones. The Jane Mansfield reference about driving is... I mean, it's tragic, but it's really funny Um, when she's like, I feel like Miss Jane Mansfield in this car. And um, Maxime is like, ooh, not a great auto reference. Like, maybe we should change it. (laughs) Uh, And then the Ann Baxter, um, you know, this is Miss Ann Baxter from the Ten Commandments. And these are the moves. And so when she's standing, Bobby Lee is standing outside trying to entice Bobby Ray. And she has that line that's like, Bobby Ray, Bobby Ray, Bobby Ray. I just <laughs> all of the parts of me love it every time. And then when he goes, when he goes, um, I love your dress, and she goes, This old thing. And then you realize it really is an old dress. Like that's a dress from the 60s. It's a dress from the 60s. I had never put that together before. It's that's really funny, Ashley. It took me a minute. I watched and I was like, oh, it really is an old dress. It really is an old dress. Oh God, I love it. I do feel like RuPaul's Drag Race taught us a lot about drag and I love RuPaul's Drag Race. So if you're at home, watch it. But it was cool to see them doing their drag in the early 90s and how it's changed. It's like watching how they did their padding and how padding has changed and watching the makeup is even different now. So like we've come we've come so far in the world of drag. We really have. And I thought that they looked beautiful in drag. I think they're all gorgeous and they each represent something so different. Like you know what kind of queen they are. They're all different kinds of drag queens that are like represented right here. And they're all beautiful. And I did want to point out, I don't remember if I did this earlier, that Chi-Chi in the end. So at the beginning of the movie, she's wearing that dress that's kind of like a lime green mermaidy dress and she doesn't have her wig on yet. She has her short hair and this dress. And they keep calling her like, you're just a boy in a dress. You're not a drag queen. And so by the end, she has something similar, but she's different. So by the end, she has like a pixie cut. So it's kind of similar in the beginning. She just had her short boy hair, but now she has a beautiful glamorous pixie cut and she has a similar cut of her dress, but it's elegant and classy now. Um, so it's like she's she's gone on this journey, but it's like she's still the same Chi-Chi, but she's like, she's different now. I just noticed that with costumes this time where I was like, oh, a costumer, that's brilliant. Wow. 
I will say the big fight moment is meaningful to me. The They never totally resolve the moment. But when Patrick Swayze as Vita Bohem and John Leguizamo as Chichi Rodriguez um, are arguing with each other and Patrick Swayze steps forward and his wig is pulled off his head, that moment of like, it's like almost shock. It cuts immediately to the next scene, but the unwigging of Patrick Swayze in that moment to me is like a really powerful moment. I know, I know. And and what has he just said to him? He said something like, um, like you failed as a man. That's why you dress as a woman. The misogyny of that statement as well, by the way, because it's implying too that women are not as good as men. You couldn't cut it as a man, so you have to be a woman kind of, you know. So it's undercutting a little to women too. But yeah, that that moment really, it gets me. I noticed I did mark down the line, sometimes it just takes a fairy when they're all kind of behaving like the fairy godmothers on the <laughs> deck. And then one of my favorite lines in the movie too is Chi-Chi when she is talking to Bobby Lee and she goes, I gotta go, I got cramps. Oh my God, it's so cute. Her character is such a cutie. Oh, and we didn't really talk about, but I guess it cuts to the realism of like, how Chi-Chi hits on everybody, but doesn't think it through, like in terms of the future, how if she does sleep with them, they will eventually discover that she's a man. She doesn't totally think that through. Right. Well, she's very much in the fantasy element of it, right? Like, and it takes somebody older than her who's a full-on queen and has had these experiences to to look at her and say like, hey, there are consequences, which is why it's really nice that she's able to learn lessons with out any type of like major traumatic damage. Like I, w- I wouldn't have wanted to watch her get hurt by those men or I wouldn't have wanted to watch Bobby Lee discover that she's a man. I really love that the wig coming off of Patrick Swayze's head is the most amount of slippage that we get. Other than that, there's n- there's no like trauma or humiliation or degradation of this beautiful fantasy for Chi-Chi. And I, I, I appreciate that about this movie, you know? Because we get a sense of where they come from. Like you do in the beginning in exposition learn that Chi-Chi is a sex worker. Um, like you do learn these things about the lives that they've had before through little tiny moments. So you're right. It's nice to only hear about it, to have it be something separate from this film and to have them just succeed in this, to not have to watch the degradation here. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Yeah, because we we can imagine, we we get it. We don't need to watch it. We don't need to see it. We just want to see them succeed. We just want to see them flourish. We just want to see the fairy tale. And they do, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Great. Just like the, the acceptance and love of the whole film. Like the message of the whole film is beautiful. You will cry. If you don't cry by the end of this movie, in a good way. If you don't have some type of cathartic release at the end of this movie, you didn't watch it. Although, again, one more we don't live in reality moment is I always do get confused when Chi-Chi does win the competition because she technically was not in the competition. But that's neither here nor there. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It might have been another competition. Like maybe it's next year. Further down the line. Yeah. Oh, and we didn't talk about Robin Williams. His cameo is great, too. Just Robin Williams in a cameo. Every line out of his mouth is amazing. He is fantastic in his brief moments. I'm like a compass pointing north. He's like foreshadowing to the birdcage is coming up in a year. Yes. One year from now, we get the birdcage. Is that really what it is a year later? Yeah, a year later, the birdcage. And it's funny that you said that because that's written by Elaine May. And we talked about Elaine May last week. So you just tied it all together. And um, we watched a very toxic masculine movie last week. So this was like the best palate cleanser I could have 
imagine. This was just like the opposite. This is like, yes, toxic masculinity is awful. Don't buy into it. Live your life beautifully um, and authentically. Hell yeah. We love it. We are now at the double feature portion of this podcast. For me, the double features, I would probably say I've never seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, but this is based on that. So probably check that out, but I don't know. I think it's all white men in that. So I, I wonder how the dynamic changed when they chose to make it more diverse. Be curious about that. I hope I hope they don't make fun of like the women in that. We'll see. So I guess we'll check it out and see what happens. But I would say that Paris is Burning is probably a great double feature with this. And I mean, anti-mame, I think would always be a great double feature. When I'm in a mood and I need <laughs> something like that, this is that's what I want. I you want just like, always add anti-mame. Tu Wong Fu, anti-mame. Those are it. <laughs> yeah, just all, anti-mame sure. for all times. Do you have any movies that you would add? I guess The Birdcage because Robin Williams. Yes, 100%. And I think it would be interesting to compare and contrast because that movie is a comedy, uh, you know, about sort of like gender stuff and LGBTQ stuff. But I think that they do a little bit more of the making fun. There's like a little bit of like a, a of a characterization that I feel like you don't get with this movie. I think it'd be interesting to compare and contrast those two things. Like I just I just really loved how in this movie they didn't get campy with it. It was like a little campy, but it wasn't, it was authentic still. Like there was campiness because the drag queens were showing us camp. They were dead serious about their camp. Obviously, like Nathan Lane is a gay man and has every right to like go as big and as bold as he always does, which is so hysterical and so amazing. I'm I'm not coming for Nathan Lane, but I'm just saying it would be it's interesting to compare and contrast two comedies that are kind of in this in similar worlds. It's almost like Patrick Swayze's parents in this film who we never totally meet. We just see when they pull up to that the big beautiful house and his mother sees him from afar. God, the camera work in that moment is great too. The way they do it, like a zoom in of each and there's this moment of like, am I gonna be accepted? And you see the revulsion in her face and you see the sadness in his face and the camera pulls out of both really quickly and it breaks that spell, that moment. It's almost like the mother in that movie is the parents in the birdcage. Like we get more of that interaction of, we only get that small moment with Patrick Swayze's mom in Tu Wong Fu, but the birdcage is kind of like, what would happen if we all sat down to dinner with that mom? Um, yeah. So that, to me, that's kind of why it's interesting, an interesting pairing, because it's like, OK, so what if in Tu Wong Fu, we we met the parents and we were like a gay person with those like restrictive, terrible parents? I definitely just love Tu Wong Fu so much now, seeing how you can really balance the comedy and the really heavy stuff so well. And it's a movie that you can watch again and again and again. I've seen this movie countless times. I, it has never gotten old for me, like ever I have never been sick of it. I've never, you know, it's just, it always feels good to watch. I'm glad you saw it when you were 13. I think all 13 year olds should see it. I think so too. And to think like I wouldn't have seen it because I didn't understand what it was and it had a weird name. Like, thank goodness for my friend that was like, no, I swear it's good. You should watch this. Thank goodness for that girl. We're not friends anymore. I don't know. I didn't really follow her beyond <laughs> eighth grade. But <laughs> I appreciate your contribution to my life with this film. Me too. <laughs> and on that note, Ash, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It was wonderful thanks having you. Thanks for having me. And happy Pride, everybody. Yay, we love you. Woo! You're wonderful, everybody. Love is love. We'll see you next time on Talk Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. 
My guest this week was Ashley Blanchett. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find our page on anchor.fm and become a contributing member. We would love that. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me. Thanks for listening.